Welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. Featuring sysadmin expert, Don Pizzette. Security specialist, Daniel Lowry. And Peter. Hello and welcome to Technado with Don Pizzette. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined by Don Pizzette, who is, I think, having one of the worst weeks. Me? Well, no, yeah, this I'm whole, having a great week. Yeah. You're migrating data. You got... <laughs> People call in. Yeah, we are in the midst of a Microsoft 365 migration, which if you've ever had the opportunity to try and move one Microsoft 365 tenant into another Microsoft 365 tenant, you would know that Microsoft provides a plethora of tools that absolutely do not do that. Right? They just do not provide any support for that. So uh, it's a bit of an undertaking, and uh, it's, it's been an adventure. It's been a lot of fun. Would it have been easier to, to move everything to like Google Docs? And then move back? Oddly enough, yes. Yes, it would have been easier to do that. <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking the other day, I was like, they just don't make it easy to move from itself to itself. Yeah, which it, it should just be a phone call. And, yeah. hey, Microsoft, can you yeah. merge these two tenants? For the switch? No. No. It'd be no. nice if they could just say, this is the new name of your tenant. That would be even that easier. Be oh, yeah, that would be... Yeah. You and didn't Daniel, have to move anything. How are you doing today, Daniel? I'm laughing at Don and his plights. Because sure. <laughs> <laughs> he got to laugh. I'm, I was trying to get some AWS stuff to work earlier. And he's like, that's an interesting problem you've got there. Anyway, moving Good on. luck. Yeah. <laughs> I've been up since, since 3 a.m., so you can deal with this. And we are joined today by our special guest. We have uh, Maxim Lamoff Brassard, who is the CEO at Lima Charlie. How are you doing today? Really good, really good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. And and I believe I said it in the correct uh, original French. We're going to go with it. All right. Well, you have a uh, a very cool backstory that we're going to talk about a little bit in, in origin stories because you've worked at some really cool places. Um, but first, let's go ahead and get to know you in our first segment, Rapid Fire Questions. Who do you work for? What's new? Who are you? What's happening? What's wrong with you? All right, Maxim, what we're going to do in this segment is rapidly fire questions at you. A timer will appear on the right side of your screen. You'll have approximately one minute to answer each question. If you take too long, Peter will buzz you like that. And we'll move on to the next question. Uh, we're going to rotate between each of us as we ask. Actually, we're going to rotate while we ask the questions. <laughs> you get caught up in our yeah. cables. Uh, first question is coming at you from Peter. That's why we need those wireless ear sets <laughs> you're talking about off the air. All go. right. So uh, for starters, can you give us kind of just the overview, the elevator pitch for Lima Charlie? What is it you guys do there? Sure. So we do security infrastructure in the cloud. So we're kind of doing away with the whole you know, big ecosystem of having to talk to vendors, go through a bunch of salespeople in long-term contracts. We're kind of taking the AWS approach <clears throat> of just spinning up infrastructure. Um, and so that means things like, you know, anything that's visibility. So EDR, the ability to take external logs. So we have our own EDR with a really wide platform support. You can bring all of the telemetry into the cloud, get one year of retention. And with that, you can you know go at any point in time. You can run rules on the data coming in so that you know you can alert on what you need, and then you can send the data out to other systems so you can kind of optimize a bit uh, your usage of maybe other products with that. All right. So with that description, it it sounds a lot like a seam. You know, where we're taking data out of one system, correlating it in another, reporting back. But I know I, on your website, you say you've got a fundamentally different way of handling cybersecurity. So what, what is it that sets apart what Lima Charlie does? 
for sure, for sure. So one, the first one is like, yeah, the the, the sales part of things, right? So it's self serve, again, really like AWS. So that means you don't, you know, you your months to months, you decide your quota, no maximum, no mix, no minimum. You can just go and get access to the tools you need. The second thing is we're not building a boxed product, right? Like I, I, I would love for my grandma to be able to stop the Russians, but I don't think <laughs> it's going to happen. Really what it is, is we're building tools for cybersecurity professionals. So it's, we, we call them primitives. It's sort of the, it's the, the fundamental version of the tool so that you can bring it into your organization and integrate it into everything else. You don't have to sort of rely on the promise that somehow we have the right secret sauce to protect you against everything at once. Well, that's actually uh, really interesting. First off, I want you to not underestimate your grandmother. <laughs> the lady is a saint and a hero. Yeah, we're going to get letters. So, oh, oh, Grandmother's everywhere. Grandma here. Number two, I am very interested in your your billing model that you're using, right? This usage base idea. What led you to that idea? Well, tell us a little more about that. Yeah, I mean, really what it is, is that we realized that a, a lot of people, you know, we don't have all the answers. Uh, we're really good at building the infrastructure, the security tools, but we're not threat intel people. We're not an NSSP, we're not a SOC. So we realized really quickly, hey, we want to work with people. And what that means is we even want to work with people that want to build security products. And, uh, you know, we, we're pretty, uh, we really strongly believe that at this point in cybersecurity, you shouldn't have to go and build a whole EDR, build a whole agent, you know, spend like the year and a half of the development to go and do that, to then do something with a different kind of value that you're bringing in, right? Maybe you're doing like machine learning on DNS. Um, you should be able to reuse infrastructure like AWS, right? If you're in IT, so it's the same thing for us. So you can come in, be in pure usage. So you you pay per you know per event transiting the network. So all of a sudden you can have your cybersecurity company go to market really really fast and just focus on the bits that you're you're giving value, not not the mechanics of like how you get to. It. All right, so we've determined it's not for for grandmothers, and again, don't at me, uh, <laughs> message him. But is this targeted at a certain uh, you know type of company, certain size of company, different industries? Are there people that are going to get more out of this than others? Yeah. So generally speaking, we we kind of talk about security professionals. Um, that's really who we're target targeting. Um, meaning, you know, if if you're a dentist's office, you know, like we're not the thing for you. Um, if you don't have any security team at all, we're probably not the thing for you. You honestly, you know, we, we don't BS. You're going to have better return by going to an MSSP um, and, and things like that. So, so that's kind of you know MSSPs, people that do security for a living, MSPs or enterprise where you do have a security team that are good at what they do and they just they just want the tool to be able to go and do their job easily, um, not necessarily just kind of. You know, I, I, like I've heard a couple of times, like, what's the box that I need to buy, put on my network, and then I'm safe? That's that's not really the customers for us. Makes does sense. that actually exist? Yeah. <laughs> a lot of companies probably tell you it does. Yeah, yeah. but it doesn't. Uh, so, so you've worked, and we're going to get into this a little bit more in origin stories, but you, you've worked at the CSE, which is basically for our American audience, the equivalent of the NSA in Canada. Uh, you worked at, at Google X, which kind of like the, the secret behind the scenes thing. Who has cooler toys? Uh, between those two? 
it, it's different, definitely different sets of toys. I'll put it that way. Um, you know, Google does not really do a whole lot of SIGINT, <laughs> uh, thankfully. So sure. uh, you know, I, <laughs> I think that the coolest cybersecurity tools are probably, you know, in, in NSA and in intelligence. Um, but the coolest infrastructure is definitely Google. Um, nothing else like it anywhere on earth. You know, it's uh, it's really amazing stuff. Yeah, they don't have like the ping pong tables. Just at a the couple CSE of raspies. And... <laughs> <laughs> well, didn't aren't they the ones that had that like floating barge out in San Francisco? That's like this glass. Uh, Google, Google did, yeah, yeah. yeah they, yeah. they were they were never allowed to have people on it though because the whole permitting mess, and they ended up having to scrap it. Yeah, it was all wasted. Really? Yeah. But did they have people there? Tell us honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never heard that part of the story. So that's uh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, he was like, why, why didn't I get to be in there? That's why. That's why. Uh, all right. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, as I've mentioned a couple of times, let's talk about where you got started in this week's origin story. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. This is a pretty hardcore origin story. All right. So where do we start? Did it, did it start in college? Did it start before that, your love of computers? And how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, I, I always had computers when I grew up. I'm kind of like in that sweet spot where I had a, like a Mac 2SE when I was a kid. So the computer was always there. Um, I think like most people that get into security, I thought from the outside that security looked really cool. Um, but it's it, at, at the time, at least, it was still something pretty hard to get into. So um, I went to university, uh, computer science, did my work uh, work term, which is like an internship at CSE. Uh, and at the time, I started there by building um, Java-based uh, parking management web apps. Uh, so it's about as fascinating as it sounds. <laughs> um, so it, it was interesting. And so, you know, being in that organization, but kind of seeing like, the, the you know, the, the cool kids doing the really interesting stuff on the side. So I petitioned a bunch of time internally to try to get another work term, got it eventually. And, uh, and yeah, it was sort of a, a whole world opening, right? It's, uh, I, I think for, for anybody that kind of gets into cybersecurity from the fundamentals of like, uh, hey, you know, what's going on in a computer and, you know, just trying to do things. Um, the, the, the stack, like there's just so many interesting things in cybersecurity that we can get into. And so I ended up spending like a whole semester <clears throat> just, you know, going all into like a specific piece of software. And, you know, thankfully the, the internship was one of those, uh, you know, that, that kind of came in right from the get go and said, um, you know, your project is like this piece of software. We don't have any more guidance than, than that. You know, you just go and figure out everything you have to that, that you want about it. And the second thing was, whatever you do here, we will not use it. Um, so it kind of just took off all the pressure. Um, and I was in the middle of an Ottawa winter. So winter in Canada, you know, where it's like it's dark, like from 3 p.m. to like 9 a.m. So it's pretty much dark all the time. Just ended up spending you know, hundreds of hours just learning everything, uh, you know, in, in Ollie debug at the time and kind of, you know, uh, reversing software, networking and all that stuff. So, um, you know, that was really kind of the, the explosion for me and uh, ended up getting recruited out of out of university. So joined them. 
um, and spent seven years in, uh, you know, it was a really, really, really cool organization, right? Uh, they, uh, but, but at that point, they started using the things that you built <laughs> <laughs> yes. when they're paying you? Okay, good, because that's, that's concerning. There's a limit to the government cliche, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and yeah, that is just so cool, um, you know, to, to have kind of the, the greenfield aspect in, in security is just so important. I think that's like, as cybersecurity is growing and becoming more mature, that's the thing we, we can't let go of. Um, is the the passion behind it, and then everything else that happened after, you know, was kind of from that. So joining uh, CrowdStrike around employee 100 at the time, uh, you know, now looking back, it's like, oh wow, that you know, that was a a special point in time kind of thing. Um, and then Google, um, I was in internal security security for a while at Google, so again, like super interesting. Started a a uh, actually Lima Charlie back then as an open source project, um, you know, starting an open source project is, is a really, um, it's a really cool thing to try. It's also, I think equally demanding as starting a company. Um, you know, you have to just promote it and, and there's so much that you learn by going through that. Um, so that was, that was a pretty, a pretty formative thing for me. And then Google X, which I mean, is a whole, different thing yeah. right so the google x is this idea of we're going to take you know part of google um put them aside into what is kind of a startup but a lot of you know a lot of funding and try to do a moonshot so you know early chronicle security which you know that's that's what got spun off from that um of, of just having again a green field of you know hey we're, we're google um what can we do to really change things in cybersecurity, right? Like, what can we do that's that's the moonshot that, you know, we don't know if we're going to get there, but if we are, it's going to have a huge impact. So with Lima Charlie kind of going in the background at that point, what was the point where you said, hey, th this is a job now. This is not, you know, just a fun project, but we've, we've got to go ahead and support this. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I got the itch when... Uh, in, as part of Google X, this idea of a moonshot, this idea of doing something really big, and my entire career has been kind of always been been at, at the at the edge of the envelope or wherever I was, right? Trying to to build new things that hadn't been done before. So having Lima Charlie, which was purely an EDR at the time, an open source, um, in my back pocket, and kind of going like, okay, you know, now's the time in my career if I want to do this and I want to have a big impact. Now's the time to try something wildly different. Um, so that was really kind of the, the root of it. So I'm, I'm curious, Lima Charlie, it started out open source and now you've turned it into a commercial product uh, or project. So like, wait, what's that process like? Because uh, are you, how, how does that work? Do you just stick a, a flag in and say, all right, as of this point, you can fork everything that I've done up to this point, but now future changes are closed off or what's that like? The mechanics of it is essentially that. Yeah, it's actually pretty simple from that perspective, right? Um, I, I would say it's uh, the the interesting bit is not the mechanic as much as the uh, the philosophical part of it, right? Um, when you've built something in open source, uh, you know, part of your heart is in that open source thing, and um, and you don't want to just close source it and just you know go go full capitalist on it, right? And just try to squeeze every uh, every amount of money from people. So 
that that was that was a pretty tough decision for us uh, to go and do that. But we kind of realized that what we could build um, with a philosophical backing of open source, meaning you know we try to be as open source as we can, so all open APIs, like really really open. Um, but having to also support people that were trying to you know deploy an EDR in a totally different environment, totally different ways. It was just it was just too demanding for an early company, so that's kind of why we did that. I'm gonna start using that. We're going full capitalism, <laughs> <laughs> going hardcore capitalism. Uh, so, speaking of which, if people uh, do want to find out more information, what, what's the website that they can go to? Uh, LimaCharlie.io. .io, perfect. And then uh, you were telling me that that you guys are launching something new with Office 365. What, what's that all about? Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we've been launching recently and the next one that's happening uh, very soon, hopefully this week or the next, is we're adding more and more data sources into Lima Charlie, right? So the idea is now you can have, you know, Mac, Windows, Linux, EDRs, you can have browsers, um, you can have, you know, network pipes, soon we'll have mobile, then you can have Office 365 audit logs, um, instead of having to maybe upgrade your license to some crazy expensive office license you can just get like one year of retention and be able to search it and run rules on it through lima charlie so that's uh that's going to be really cool it just oh keeps opening up that aperture and and we kind of keep eating away at uh you know at the, the the bits of infrastructure people need to have that that really shouldn't be there anymore right like yeah. windows and log forward we just just integrate it all and you, you've got a uh, a webinar coming up correct that's right. Um, on February 14, uh, we've got a joint webinar with uh, Soteria. They're an MSSP um, that's been using Lima Charlie for a long time. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it should be a really interesting discussion, um, you know, sort of, you know, Lima Charlie and then how they're making use of it. Um, they're really kind of at the, at the cutting edge of, of the whole concept around, you know, DevOps around cybersecurity, right? Like how do we, how do we move the, the goalposts further um, to have like reliable, uh, knowledgeable cybersecurity postures. Well, luckily, I have nothing to do on February fourteenth. <laughs> <sighs> Again, so I will, yeah. So, <laughs> I guess I'll be there. Calendar the, is empty. It's the first person to ask me to do something on February fourteenth this year. So that's. that's we'll send you we'll chocolate. You. Thank you. Oh, I appreciate that. <laughs> Canadian chocolate. Is that is that is there maple syrup in that? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that comes would with be a it. cup of maple syrup. So you can dip it. <laughs> Ooh, that'd be good. Chocolate and maple syrup. Uh, all right. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time today uh, out, out of your schedule, and you know, it sounds like you guys have a lot going on. So, uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us today and talk about it. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. All right, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and look at the news from this week. That's all coming up on Technado with Don Pizzette. Stay tuned. I've been in the career education business since 2000. I wanted to get into computers, and I'd kind of been doing it as a hobby for a few years at that point. But what we found when we were running the career school was about one out of every hundred people that we talked to might enroll. You had books and you had official courses, but if you had a question, you had nobody you could go to. Nobody. But what could we do for the other 99? There's 99 people out of 100 who can't afford it. Once I was A-plus certified, it was easy to find jobs. There were lots of jobs that had that as a requirement. One day I came to Don and I said, I've got an idea. What if we could remove the obstacles for people? We said, how do we create a product that is valuable to people? Reduce cost and make it fun. 
I want to make resources available to people that they can learn about IT. Having an option that you can attend anytime. Learn about certifications, get certified. On demand. And get into the job they want. Where every day there is new content being produced. When something new comes out, we record that content. It's the best of the classroom experience delivered conveniently online. A library of IT knowledge that's waiting for you. Hello, thank you for watching IT Pro TV, helping you learn everywhere you go. We started IT Pro TV to create the training that we wanted, that we wish that we would have had. The style and approach that we felt would truly help people learn IT and succeed. That's what I want to do. I want to make life easier for people who want an IT career. All right, welcome back to TechNado with Don Bazette. A lot of news to get to this week. Uh, some hardware stuff, as always, a little, little bit of security, a little nation-state hacking. Deep state. That never happens. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're the security guy, right? Yeah. All right, yeah. All right our first article. Safe out there. Oh, super safe, because, <laughs> because of people like you. Yeah. Our first article comes to us from ArsTechnica.com. New Starlink Premium costs $500 a month and ships sooner than standard Starlink. Well, it better for that much. Yeah. It, this can't be designed for, like, the home user, can it? Uh, no, so this this one's targeted at businesses. Okay. Um, well, I mean, you, you can get it at home if you want. They just call it their premium line, but it's really focused more towards businesses. Uh, Starlink was in beta last year. Very few people could actually get it, and now they've been opening up and letting more people get in. Uh, if you go to to sign up right now, you have to pay a deposit, and it takes months to get your antenna, so it's not a very fast type thing. But they now have Starlink Premium where you can jump to the front of the line, really, and, and get in there, but it's a lot more expensive. So uh, it's $500 a month, which is pretty high. I pay $100 a month right now for gigabit uh, gigabit fiber, so that's considerably better than Starlink. But if you live somewhere that doesn't have fiber, then you know Starlink is, is better than the old DirecTV stuff. Yeah. But the hardware for this costs $2,500 as well. Yeah, that's it's in a, addition. It's a different dish than the normal Starlink uses, so you, you've got to pay a little extra. But again, if you've if you've got a small office or a this home office... people that want to take social distancing to the mm. next level. Right? I'm yeah. going to open my business up in the middle of Montana. <laughs> Off grid. <laughs> and you know, i got 500 gig up and down. As long as you can see the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it gets you about, they say it can in range between, uh, I believe it was around 300 megabit. Oh, no, it was a, says advertised download speeds of 100 to 200 megabits. Uh, but, you know, Greg, a gentleman here in our office, he has the regular Starlink dish, and he said he gets 300, 350 sometimes. Wow. But it's not a guarantee. With Starlink right. Premium, you're supposed to be, like, prioritized, right. so you get a little more bandwidth. And this says strong performance in extreme weather. So is that the different... Probably because antenna. Of the dish, yeah. 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 Uh, either you guys or any of our listeners, if you've used uh, Sirius XM, mm -hmm. right? Uh, when it gets really cold, the antenna doesn't work as well. Yeah. And especially if there's any like ice on your car or whatever, like mm -hmm. your, your signal just goes out. Well, well, this could be the same. We we didn't uh, cover this story, but it was a few weeks ago. I, I put it in <laughs> our chat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cats were sitting on the dishes because the dish has a, a little heater built in, so it melts the snow and yep. ice away uh, to make it work. But that also attracts. I just start a little Animals. fire under my Starlink antenna. It keeps it warm. <laughs> Smart. Yeah, I bet like in some climates you've got, you know, like uh, cold-blooded like snakes and stuff will just get yeah. up there. That'd they be... like it warm. Yeah. yeah. And that's... So that's how that works. Yeah. So you, <laughs> get, you get dinner and internet. But yeah, so it's, it's really neat because we, we have a, a coworker who's been on the podcast a few times, Ronnie, yeah. uh, where Ronnie lives in the boonies mm -hmm. and does not qualify for DSL or cable. Yeah, or he runs a cable from the office. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> 
He uh, he is on. I think. HughesNet, is that what it's called? Yeah. Um, and, you know, he's got a data cap. He gets like two gigs a month or something ridiculously low. It's very small. If he were to stream one movie, he'd run through his data cap, yeah. and, and it, it totally stinks. I think he downloads movies here and yeah. takes them home. Yeah. Don has to give him Netflix on VHS, <laughs> and he takes it. <laughs> he's like, yeah, don't get rid of that mail he's subscription. The yeah. Yeah. He's the holdout. Oh, so if you're one of those people that's suffering like Ronnie, you know, slowly dying on the inside. Uh, Starlink's gone mainstream now, so definitely time to check it out. Yeah. And thank you for wasting your data cap on us uh, yeah. streaming this. Hopefully that's... you're doing the audio only. Yeah, that seems <laughs> seems like a horrible use of your... They hack their neighbors. <laughs> your yeah, yeah, you better be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the whole community is sharing one satellite dish. I don't on my own data cap. Jeez, I no. am I sick? Not made of mine. <laughs> All right. Our next article comes to us from xda-developers.com. Uh, Windows Terminal 1.13 comes with a new look for settings and auto-elevated profiles. So I assume you don't care about the new look, Don. Yeah, that's what, stupid. What, Who cares? So the auto-elevated profiles. Is this kind of what we talked about last week of of elevating uh, security profiles about for certain users, or this is something completely different? Uh, this is different. So yeah. it, with what we, what we talked about last week was a CVE, like it was an unintentional elevation of privileges. What we're talking about this week is, is on purpose. Oh, no, so. I'm, I meant the one where it, w- it would prioritize certain users in your in your network for Oh, that was the security. Office 360 or Microsoft The enhanced security. Stuff, yeah. Okay, so that's, no. yeah, that's totally still different. different. Still, still different. Still, still different, different. yep. Yeah. In this case, it's a command prompt, right? And in Windows, when you launch a command prompt, it runs with the same user privileges as you, the user, because, well, you're the one who launched it, and that's the way programs work. But if you're an administrator and you want to perform some administrative task, in the past, you used to right-click on the command prompt and choose Run as Administrator. It's kind of like the sudo command in Unix or Linux, but here it's in Windows. But worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but worse. And then it would launch a terminal that was now with elevated privileges, so you could do your administrator-type stuff. Well, in Windows Terminal, you've not been able to do that. You could launch the entire Windows Terminal as an administrator, but that led to some various problems and, and, and issues, so you wouldn't normally want to do that, because then everything you do in it is as an administrator. Well, there were workarounds where you could install like the open source gsudo utility so that you could get elevated privileges on a, a single terminal. But now they're baking that into Windows Terminal 1.13. So that's a really exciting thing. You'll be able to have a regular command prompt and an elevated command prompt, a regular PowerShell and an elevated PowerShell all open in the same Windows Terminal frame. So really cool stuff to be able to make make life a little easier for the admins. heavens have opened. I mean, welcome to technology that's been around since 1960-something, 70-something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's about time Windows well, caught up to this game. You know, you have to remember that the Windows Terminal is still fairly new, right? Yeah. It just went but 1.0. Mean, even command prompts. Like, since Windows inception, we've never had an easy way to elevate yeah, that's true. to an administrative prompt. You, you have to go through this foolishness of right-clicking to run as administrator. You know, I think you can run, like... Isn't there like after you have a terminal open, I think from like, like a command prompt you can issue a command that will launch an elevated terminal. Oh, you using the uh, go command or whatever Something. you can trigger yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's but it's convoluted. It's there's not- little things like do you remember way back there used to be the Dell tree command where you could delete yes. a tree of subfolders, right? Yeah. And then they got rid of that and they never replaced it, right? Yeah. In in Linux we we've got rm r. You can remove nested folders to your heart's content, yeah. right? But you can't do that in a Microsoft command prompt. Then why not? Why not? Yeah. Right. These are little things that just make me go, what's going on, Microsoft? Yeah. Apparently, they've deprioritized that. 
how how are they happy with that? Like, if, if I'm a if I'm a developer or whatever, somebody that runs Windows systems constantly day and night, and I'm over there, I'm like, oh shit, I gotta sneak and run a right click. You oh, know, you, you got to go to the GUI, and right? God and, forbid you accidentally kill that screen and you gotta reopen yeah. it. So is this something that I assume you can do in Linux much more? Easily? You type in sudo, oh, absolutely, and then it does everything as an administrator. Yeah, should do yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Maybe when we get the Microsoft version of Linux. Hey, yeah. that's what WSL was created for, right? <laughs> Exciting stuff. Which did make Microsoft uh, products a little more yeah. attractive to me. Because I can just, oh, well, I don't have to worry about it not being there anymore. I got a WSL. I'm good. I do all the stuff I need to do. That is true. All right. <laughs> this is one of those where I just had to wait to see that you guys are done with the conversation because I don't understand it. So, nailed it. All right. Uh, <laughs> this next one comes to us from PBS.org. PB- and, uh, PBS is in the public broadcasting yeah and uh we're gonna do a pledge drive here (laughs) on the air so please this article is actually brought to you by the letter k and people like you that's right yeah Uh, carnegie mellon (laughs) (laughs) all right uh homeland security creates new cyber safety board to review hacks and when i first read this headline i was thinking like so what are the reviews like one star do not (laughs) recommend do not install this hack was not as good as i thought it was gonna be (laughs) Uh, but different kind of review right well yeah yeah, different kind of review but i would say that your version is just as effective as this version Uh, so yeah so they're putting together this new board uh, so it'll be a group of people. Many of them are from the tech industry that are, are, are civilian leaders, not just like military officials. And they're going to be reviewing the various cyber attacks that happen here in the United States and then determining uh, what we could do about it. Right. Really writing a report. Well, the key thing here about this to remember or just to pay attention to is the fact that they're they're not like finding new stuff. They're looking at stuff that happened in the past. In fact, their first mission is attached to this log4j uh, vulnerability that's been kind of a huge wildfire the last month or so. Uh, that's that's something that kind of already happens, though, right? A, a big exploit like, like log4j hits. It hits a ton of companies. We learn about it. Patches come out. We review it. And hopefully we follow better patching practices, right? There's not really a different behavior we could have had that would have right. prevented that, that. That was an O-Day. I mean, right. somebody discovered, hey, there's a there's a real bad problem here. I could exploit that for fun and profit. Yay. And that's what they did. until. Yep. The- so this group will spend six months studying Log4j and where things fell apart. And then they'll release their findings. And then their findings will largely say, do your updates. Uh, don't expose logging systems to the internet. And maybe or anything at all. somebody <laughs> should drop a little funding over to the people who support Log4j. You know, something like that. Yeah. Uh, don't expect uh, a whole miracle out of this. But it's kind of a first step in building better, better security awareness and information sharing between the government and the U.S. citizenry. I feel like it's a first step toward regulation. It could be. Right, because this is typically how these things start, where it's like, hey, you know, we got a real problem over here. What we should do is get the government involved because they are amazing at solving problems. And then some private sector that, that we like, you know, not those private sector people we don't like, we'll get them involved and we'll create a committee and then they'll start feeding off each other just like we did with the Federal Reserve and things like that. It's amazing. Yeah. It works every time. There are people like Bruce Schneier, who yeah. is a big advocate for that. He, he thinks that the government should be regulating the hell out of all this. Uh-huh. Uh, and so there's there's voices out there that are calling for it. Um, Daniel, I, I kind of know where you stand. Uh, for me, I, I typically prefer less regulation. Right, yeah. No regulation in many cases. Yeah. So, um, 
Yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. We'll see it, where it goes. Today they're putting out reports. Tomorrow they could put out who knows what. Yeah. Executive orders. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, let me get my pen out. <laughs> Don't you want to regulate Bitcoin, though? I want to eliminate Bitcoin. Eliminate like, Bitcoin. Have you, again, we don't have an article on this or anything, but like just the. <laughs> you, the you got two minutes. Yeah, you the got NFT minutes. scams that are going that on. That is some stupid the, stuff, man. Uh, I'm sorry. Like the way that Korea is funding their, or North Korea is funding their, their missile program with stolen cryptocurrencies, and I, it, it should just not be legal. It, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> Well, this segment was brought to you by the Human Fund. (laughs) The Human Fund. Money for people. (laughs) And listeners like you. Yeah. All right. And uh, we're going to send everyone a tote bag. Uh, They send in money. Let's binge watch... um, Masterpiece Theater? Or Nova? No. What was that? uh, that, uh, Downton Abbey. It was a long time ago. Doctor Who. Sesame Street. It's along the lines of Doctor Who, but it was like a, a comedy. It was like a sitcom. They had with British people. It was a British comedy. What Benny Hill. Oh. No. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd always I turn it off. Of it. I, the, the clue is it was a British comedy <laughs> on PBS. On yeah. PBS. The one. The only. Now I got to look it up. Yep, you do that. Get to that. I'm looking well, it up. Well, I'll read the next article. I'm <laughs> looking it up. <laughs> and you look that up. This is happening. All right. Uh, this next article comes to us from therecord.media. Uh, Microsoft to block internet macros by default in five office applications. And I think this is a great thing because it's one of those things where, you know, even I know macros are bad. Uh, but, yeah. but for some reason, they're still on by default, even though most people don't even use them. So the, the first macro virus that affected Microsoft applications was released over 20 years ago, right? A long time ago. And in that time, security researchers have been just begging Microsoft, turn off macros by default. But they haven't done it. And they, they've, they've implemented a trust center. They've implemented warnings on screen. They let you know a macro is about to run. But the reality is most end users are just not capable of interpreting those prompts and understanding the risk they're about to take. And as a result, macro viruses are, macro malware just in general, is just as effective today as it was 20 years ago. So Microsoft is finally making that next step and saying, we're going to turn off macros by default. You can still turn them on. You can still turn them on. I thought they did turn them off a while ago. Um in like the office suites. They give you the warning. I thought it was like straight up off. But you're saying in, in, default the, for a while. in the desktop apps, not in the... Right, in the desktop apps. In like Correct. 365. Because I remember, I don't know, it was like two or three years ago, they were like, we're, we're taking that away. We're no longer turning that off by default. Now you can run macros to your heart content. And then lo and behold, macroviruses went on the rise. Mm-hmm. Well, well, so... So I was what happens, say it took the Homeland Security Board 20 years to make <laughs> this recommendation. True. That's true. That's so what why. happens right now, if you open up a document with a macro, you get, uh, a you get a warning, and it says some active content has been disabled, click for more details, and there's a big enable content button right beside right. it, right? What this change is doing is changing it so it'll say Microsoft has blocked macros from running because the source of this file is untrusted, and there's a learn more button. So it doesn't mm-hmm. even give you an enable button so, so, so it's just another step before you can find that enable button. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think, well, I mean, because they're not taking macros away, right? Right. They're just turning them off and making a little more. You you like, will have through. to flag the file as trusted, which is actually kind of a pain in the butt. Gotcha. Uh, so you know it is an extra level, and then administrators can use GPOs to turn this feature off if they want, or you know, flip it back on, so right. it can be modified. But yeah. it it really is making that next step, and I'll say that. 
when it comes to macros, especially visual basic macros, I don't really use them ever, but maybe if I was a CPA or something, that'd be more important yeah, to me. Because they're all like Excel spreadsheets, love macros, right? They, yeah. They suck Excel people. Mm. They are crazy with the macros. I don't, I can't think of, do you use macros at all? In, no. No? It took me for, I thought that was just a virus maker <laughs> at first. <laughs> And then I was like, oh, it's like, so you can do like repeated tests. I mean, I'm sure like, that's more like power users, I would think. And uh, someone that yeah. works in Outlook all the time and wants to generate those things. And that's, that's why it makes total sense that why wouldn't, you know, you just have them click an extra button to say, yeah, run macros. Yeah. Good news is, is you can still slap ma like malware inside of PDFs and whatnot. So thank God. <laughs> yeah. You know, or embed it in a graphic file. It's part of the document there anyway. And <laughs> Super yes. fun. Each week we find a new way. Yeah. Uh, and we might find yet another way in our next segment. A Huawei. Which is, oh, yeah. <laughs> Who got pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! All right, this story comes to us from Wired.com. North Korea hacked him, so he took down its internet. And we're talking <laughs> vigilante justice here, uh, which is normally not something we recommend, but this one sounds fun. Uh, Don, can you give us a, a sure. little overview? What happened? So, you know, last year we reported on an article, I don't know if you guys remember, it was, it was a while ago, mm -hmm. uh, about how North Korean hackers were targeting security professionals here in the United States. And what they were trying to do was compromise these security researchers to be able to gain access to their tools, their, you know, their advanced yes. tools. And some of them had unreleased vulnerabilities they were working on. You know, they haven't gone through full responsible disclosure yet. And so the North Korean hackers were trying to gain access to that. Poking the bear. Well, you know, they got caught because the security professionals tend to be better at noticing things like that. Um, and so there were several that had reported on it. We, we covered it. Uh, but one in particular got a little frustrated that the U.S. government didn't seem to be doing anything about it. I know I've said that mm -hmm. on the podcast before. It's really frustrating when it seems like our government isn't doing anything. Uh, and so he took matters into his own hands. He looked at North Korea and said, what can I do to mess with this? And he found out he could actually do quite a bit. He was able to have used numerous vulnerabilities in in some of the, the edge routers in North Korea, as well as some of their other things like their national flight booking system, Air Corio, uh, that okay. he was able to go in and, and basically take these sites down or do denial of services, block network access. And he's been causing network outages in North Korea for months like this has been going on for a while at one point bringing the entire country's internet service down um as i guess kind of like a protest retaliation uh it's it's interesting to see that one person could could do that so how is this set up though because they're they're not on my internet right they're on they're on their own complete like is it sh it's shut off but it obviously there's some access points in there there is some access yeah so if you are in North Korea, so very, very much like China, you have access to the full internet, but you're going through China's firewall or you're mm -hmm. going through North Korea's. And so they can filter and track everything that you're doing. And they can block sites and yeah. Yeah. And then the government themselves, they have full access out to the internet sure. and, and they have various services and websites and things like the, the DPRK website is hosted in North Korea, but we can get to it right here from our own computers. So there are holes that are open up and that's what this, this guy has been taking advantage of. Yeah, as long as he's not, you know, taking them down, we can access those sites. Yeah, that's yeah. True. You know, if he as, lets as your grandmother tells you, right? Speaking of grandmas today, mm -hmm. the best way to stand up to a bully 
is to punch him right in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, in this case, what he's doing is uh, arguably illegal. Uh, you it's know. Absolute, I would say it's absolutely yeah. illegal, right? There's well, laws against doing it. So it's just not enforceable. It it's tough on the on the international scene, you know, because they have the whole thing right. about whether countries recognize other countries, governments, and stuff. So the, there could be an argument that he's not actually attacking a country at all. Like there, there, there's things of that nature, but but really, in general, you should not be doing these things. And and there will likely be retaliation back against him. Uh, you know, when when they figure out who he is, if he's going public with this information, I can't imagine that'll take too long. Yeah, this doesn't say who it is, right? He, uh, he's under a pseudonym. Kind yeah, of thing here? pseudonym. Uh, is it P4X or Pax? Yeah, or P forks. P forks. <laughs> That's it. That's yeah. P forks. Yeah. That's a. Unless you hear it out loud, it'd be hard to determine which one of those are correct. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this sounds, this sounds fun. So he doesn't specifically say how he's doing this. Uh, well, they did. They did detail a couple of different things that he's done. Uh, so not not detailing yeah. like this is the exploit he used to get in here or get in there. Not tips. Uh, he did show him. like uh, videos of him actually doing these things, though, right? I think the article was talking about that, where he he was he he had proof that he was doing what he said he was doing by showing. Oh yeah, how he was taking it down. From his living room, watching aliens and eating corn snacks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's actually doing it, and you know the interesting part is like let's let's say that you were on North Korea's cybersecurity team, yeah. right? Because uh, they they do have a, a fairly well built out cybersecurity team that uh, they see these outages happening, and they might think, wow, the U.S. government, the United States is attacking us. But it turns out it's just one guy some with dude. some extra time on his hands. Yeah. It makes you wonder about the attacks on us, where it's very fast for people to say. Russian hackers, Chinese hackers, and so on. Maybe it's just people eating Cheetos on the couch, <laughs> and who knows? Well, I guess now the more I think about it, you know, the legal issues aside, this does kind of suck in the sense that, you know, life in North Korea doesn't sound great. You know, no. you're you're hungry. You Depends on who don't you have are. access to information. Yeah, yeah for, <laughs> for the common common folk there. And and now now you can't get to, you know, North Korean Netflix, too? You, yeah. The, you can't book your airline? I don't want to assume too much, but I'm going to assume if you're one of the impoverished, starving citizens of North Korea, you probably, probably don't have on. access to the internet anyway. Yeah, I think they it's have to point. shut electricity off to large portions of North Korea oh, that certain out. days a week. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So maybe not doing a lot of damage there, but right, but, but you are right. It is affecting a lot of innocence. I heard that uh, they were using um, power outages to discover dissidents. Oh, because oh, yeah? someone so might were, have a generator will, or... So, no, you might have, like, DVDs <gasps> that you bought on the black market that was, you know, illegal, and then they'll shut the power off in your house or to, to your whole village, and they'll come in and just start turning power onto your house, fire up the DVD player, and see if there was anything left in it. Oh. And you couldn't pull it out because they shut the power off, and yeah. now that's how hmm. they were catching them. And that's, yeah. yeah, that's where I keep the extra ham slices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right there in the DVD well, player. In a communist country, I'm not allowed also, to have extra ham slices. You know, it's it, it is stories like that though yeah. that that make you appreciate the freedoms that Indeed. you have. Uh, do not take them for granted. And I'd proudly stand up next to you and defend yourself. <laughs> <today. laughs> 
All right. Uh, we have some webinars coming up. There is one coming up today, this afternoon, Thursday, February 10th, Blueprint for a Successful Pen Test uh, with our own Daniel Lowry and Ben Fink from OnDefend. Uh, so check that out over at itpro.tv tv slash webinars uh the archive will be up there as well if you are listening to this at a later time uh, there's also another one coming up uh here for our hacking month starting your ethical hacking career a pen tester's guide that's thursday february 24th uh that is with philip wiley oh, yeah. and you as well daniel i will be there as well he wrote the pen tester blueprints and, uh, and we're a, giving a copy of that away who are we now we're giving that's a, a copy away hmm? somebody to daniel <laughs> I'm going to break into the industry one of these days. To, to read before the pod, or for the webinar so he knows what he's talking yeah. about. So. I've okay. actually read it. So. Oh, you have? Yeah. Okay. Well, now you got two. Uh, <laughs> I'd say I bought it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that should be the test. Like, yeah. can you find an illegal copy of this book? <laughs> then you're ready. The student has become the master. <laughs> yeah, and uh, while you're on the internet, head over to technando.com and check the site out. You've got uh, an area to send us feedback. Uh, let us know who you want to see on here as guests. Uh, tell us what stories to cover, things like that. Uh, you can also click that big orange button in the corner that says sponsored by IT Pro TV and get 30% off the lifetime of your IT Pro TV personal membership. You can also request a team trial and see all the great features like the Pro Portal that are available to teams of two or more folks uh, over at IT Pro TV. So definitely check that out. All right, I want to thank our guest today, Maxim Lamoth Brassard. I rolled the R that time yeah. to make yeah, it even more official. Because French don't normally roll Spanish. their R's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was reading it as a Spanish person. What? But would. they are both like derivatives of Latin, though, right? Yeah. yeah. See, it's a romance. So language. is English. We don't yeah. roll our R's. I do sometimes. I thought English was more Germanic. I believe you're I right. I believe that is right, yeah. <laughs> but it's still based on Latin. Ah, uh, whatever. Yeah, Not what this podcast is about. Etymology road. Welcome to our linguistics podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think we we covered today it today. We're talking so. umlauts. Yeah, mm. <laughs> and what they can do for you. <laughs> Favorite. All right. Uh, thank you guys, and we will see all of you next week right here on Technado with Don Pizet.